Ladies and gentlemen, today is my pleasure. I'm not actually even sure if it's a pleasure yet because we are interviewing um, the executive head of retail solutions at Liberty. And um, his name is David Jewell, and with him is my real boss, which is Yvanka Damjanovic. She's an agile coach. But why I am petrified of this interview is David is an actuary by trade. Now, you know, to try and find personality in an actuary is really hard. So I'm going to have my job cut out to find some humanity in this whole David set up today. So I'm petrified. But let's start with, and David, welcome to our show. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> but you see, it's quite easy for me because I'm a computer scientist. So it's like pot calling kettle black here. Absolutely. Okay. We'll get into that. Uh, I've once heard this joke about introverts and extroverts, but you can probably say it between computer scientists and actuaries. How do you know which one is which one? You know, when the two get together at a cocktail party the, and they talk to each other, the actuary looks at its own shoes and the computer scientist looks at your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not but, funny. David, tell us a bit about your career because you're probably the first person that came up the actuary ranks or from a real technical type of background like that. Tell us where you studied and, you know, like a two or three minute overview of and why stats? Why, why I did it? Um, so, I mean, look, at, at, at school I was, I was strong academically. I was good at maths and I went through all the usual career counselling and all the rest and uh, uh, they pretty uselessly told me I could do whatever I wanted to um, and then started reeling off careers that actually used maths like engineering and funny enough, they didn't, they didn't mention computer science. Um, maybe it was long enough ago that it didn't really exist as a career. Um, so it gave me engineering and f nuclear physics um, and actuarial science came up. Um, and just to keep it interesting, I had medicine in the mix as well, probably because my dad was, was um, uh, medically trained. And actually it was a very late decision. Right before university started, I switched out of medicine at Tuckies to doing actuarial science at WITS. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean... Loved it from get-go. Um, uh, very interesting stuff. I mean, the, the two kind of core pillars are stats, as you've mentioned, and um, maths of finance, time value of money. <coughs> um, and so I started out, I applied for a, a bursary at Liberty. Um, they, of course, declined me. I wasn't up to their, their grade, so I had to fund myself first year. Um, and I worked hard, and I got spectacular marks, and so they then took me on board for a bursary in second year. Um, and uh, as my career progressed, um, as my, as my uh, journey through the degree progressed, my marks declined. Um, so by the time I'd done three years at, at university, I decided I had to get out of there or was going to end up failing something at some stage. And I started work at Liberty back in 1994. Um, and originally in an operations area, actually, so doing manual calculations, you'll be proud to know, um, by hand with an HP 12C calculator um, on policy values. And we used to talk to customers and talk to advisors and fix all the things that went wrong in systems implementation and operational processes. Um, and uh, yeah, so I did that for a couple of years. I, I did quite a bit of systems testing in my youth um, and was involved in us taking the first um, point of sale, electronic point of sale system to market in the mid 1990s pretty revolutionary at the time. 
Um, and then sort of fast forwarding, I, I did a little bit of pensions valuations. Um, I qualified so all this while I was writing actuarial exams in the background. Um, and I qualified in 1997 and then uh, actually rewarded Liberty with their loyalty and funding by resigning, moving to Swiss Re. Um, and uh, there I was in a, in a marketing role. Um, and that was very interesting getting insight into the industry the, from a technical perspective, but more, more so from a cultural perspective. So working with all of our competitors, Mutual Sunlum, uh, Sage Life, Momentum, Metropolitan, across the, across the insurance product sets. Um, and then around about 2001, I left Swiss and uh, set up a business with a bunch of friends, a little consulting business. Um, and, I mean, that was a lot of fun. I, I think that, uh, I mean, we had nothing. It was complete greenfields. We had to find office space and choose couches, and that's still the most expensive couch in South African corporate history, just given the amount of debate that went into it. Set up payroll systems and pay the tax man and issue invoices and collect the money um, and do some actuarial consulting work in between. Um, and I think that gave me a much, much better appreciation of all of the enablers and, um, and support that we have in these big corporate environments that we typically take for granted. And then 2005, um, I'd, I'd got into audit work, I mean, from, a, from an actuarial practice perspective, and that was a short step into due diligence. So while it's typically perceived to be on opposite ends of the glamour spectrum, I mean, the actual nature of the work is pretty much the same. And I worked on um, uh, the due diligence of Capital Alliance when Liberty bought, bought Capital Alliance. Um, and so there I got to work in close quarters with Miles Ruck, who was mm -hmm. our chief exec at the time, and um, our chief actuary and our CFO and the corporate finance boss. Um, and through that process, they, they invited me on board to come and help make it work. So that was 2005, came back to Liberty, and then it's been a, a kind of rollicking adventure um, since then um, in a variety of roles, a variety of managers. I'm sure through the course of the rest of our chat, we'll, we'll talk a little more mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, you see why our, our academic careers work differently because I started out dismally, and why I always take a dig at actuaries and statisticians is I will never forget it. My first semester, we did this thing called mathematical statistics. Mm -hmm. And my first semester test, I think I got 31%. Oh. <laughs> and my second one, I think I got 13 or 45% or something like that. Still to this day, I woke, wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweats about mathematical statistics. Yeah. It was one of, it was one of our majors as actuarial yeah. undergrads. We had to do three years of math stats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's hardcore. So respect there. That's all I can say, respect. David, one thing that really struck me is in this agile stuff which we've been doing in the last couple of years is there's almost a humanity at the center of it. It's almost taking work, breaking it up, and giving it again back to the people that matters, the clients, and trying to make a difference. Mm. It just feels to me that the ethos of agile is a bit different to the normal call it industrial revolution type of things. And when I visited you guys there at Liberty, the thing that struck me was your mission statement mm. with, I think Sir Donald Gordon still put it up, or I think you told me something around that, where there's a humanity at the center of everything you do. And 
it actually stopped me in my steps looking at that thing. Yeah. Don't you want to share with us, maybe all the listeners, what that is about? Because that's very special. Yeah, so, so um, I mean, up in, our, in our foyer, I mean, w- we saw it. Are the, are the, call them three core founding principles that Donald Gordon put in place, or so the story goes, when he, when he um, set liberty up. And, uh, I mean, the, the first principle is actually all about humanity. I mean, so it's, I, will re- I will remember the humanity in, 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 in what we do. Um, and uh, our new chief exec, David Monroe, has now spent a lot of time reconnecting with um, the legacy of Liberty's history um, and, and I mean, picking up exactly that humanity stream. Because if you think about what life insurers do, I mean, we're there to... Um, firstly, enable hope streams, aspirations of people, and be there for them in their most vulnerable moments. Um, I mean, when something's happened to to a loved one, I mean, someone's passed away or suffered a dread disease, a cancer, or is is no longer able to work. I mean, that's fundamentally what our business is about. It's actually all about about um, hope streams and and fundamentally humanity. So. So I think for the last, um, I don't know, 15, 20 years, we've lost touch with it a little bit, I mean, subsequent to Donald Gordon's departure. Um, but now, right at the center of our strategy is exactly that, is, is bringing that um, humanity front and center. And if you, if you take it and put it in the context, both of a, a shift in ways of working into more agile, or actually, I mean, all financial services organisations are, are grappling with and struggling with putting the client at the at the centre, at the heart of what they do. Um, again, I mean, that's about humanity. That's about seeing the client as a as a person um, uh, first and foremost. And and maybe I mean, just just connecting into into agility. Absolutely. I mean, I guess what we're doing is is turning um, turning management models on their heads, where you where you empower. The people, your your employees, to make the calls, to drive the show, to to um, uh, make the make the daily decisions, to to um, be be re-empowered as opposed to just taking instructions from from somewhere on high. So and and I mean obviously, look, we we're talking about the about the the first principle. I think the I think I think the other one that's 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 worth calling out, um, which again is completely core to Liberty's purpose and strategy. Um, is that I'll make liberty not just our name, but what we do. I mean, about bringing bringing freedom, and I guess in, in our case particularly financial freedom. But uh, yeah, I mean that's I that's, what, that's what you're about. Like that. No, well, well, it's been it's been a fantastic journey. I mean, the last little while with David um, as 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 the chief exec. I mean, and and just reconnecting with with the essence of what liberty is about and where it comes from. Um, and he quotes those principles over and over again. Um, and if I go back, I mean, just 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 talking to my my, my own little um, journey, go back to what Liberty was in the mid and early nineties. I mean, then it was an organisation that already properly understood customer centricity. I remember going on a course around it's not just good enough to satisfy the customer; you need to delight them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this crazy little Greek guy who used to froth at the mouth and jump up and down and share stories about uh, companies that, that um, delight their customers. And, uh, yeah, I think we've lost that for a little while, but now, now, now I think we, we, we're getting back on track, reconnecting with it. And maybe that's a good um, segue into Yuvanka. Now, Yuvanka is called it an enterprise agile coach, so she's um, helping Liberty a bit with um, 
Agile and their journey. So, Yvonne, what tools are there in Agile to help with customer centricity? Uh, sorry, I was looking at your shoes. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> Yvonne is also a computer scientist. So. <laughs> okay. So, so I think the, the biggest... Um, biggest value that Liberty has, it's uh, their people. Uh, and, and going back to their people and using their people to drive the change to agility is, is really very important. Um, and I think um, the understanding that they can do it for themselves and understand their own context and, and make it happen within that context and make it real for themselves in, in maybe looking forward to reconnect back to their roots, which, which they obviously, according to what they've just shared with us, was customer centricity and humanity. I think it's really important to, to uh, you know, think about. Yeah. Thanks, Ivanka. David, another question maybe to you and... In the last podcast, somebody got me, his name is David Willifier. He actually was a catalyst here at Stanbank a couple or probably five years ago. And I asked him a question and he said, can I still remember what it feels like to be on fire? And that totally almost stopped me. And I, I promise you, I lie awake at night and try to think, how do you feel when you operate at your best? Mm-hmm. And maybe to help me and maybe help our listeners, when David is on fire, when he's at his optimum peak and he's motivated, and how do you work? How do you operate? How do you feel? Sure. Um, what do you well, like at when you're at your best? Yeah. So, so um, I mean, look, I, I guess the first thing, and, and, and you'll hear this a lot, I mean, is that work doesn't feel like work. I mean, it actually yeah. just feels like, like more play and fun. Um, I find what happens to me when I'm when I'm in the zone, um, really enjoying what I'm doing, feeling I'm making a, a difference in flow, is um, I'm energetic, I'm active, I walk fast, I talk fast, um, um, I I typically move into human interaction. I mean, face to face as as much as possible rather than sitting down behind a desk and mm-hmm. and firing um, emails around um, draw pictures and I mean life just gets are you a really picture fun drawer? and easy am I a picture drawer yes um, I like drawing I, 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 I find pictures speak much better than words um, I'm not very good at drawing Um but um, I, I find to align people and actually just just uh, communicate. I mean, you, you need pictures. I mean, so so I mean, if I in my time back at Liberty, running various actuarial areas in various capacities, I've I've, I've typically had a picture, and typically it's one picture, one slide that depicts the vision of what we're trying to do, and that might be a six-year journey, but. Um, it just enables me to communicate the message of what we're trying to do and galvanize a team around what, we, what, what we're shooting towards. So, yeah, I mean... Sure, um, I love that. So you are clear on your vision. You can actually articulate it and you can make it alive through human con- interaction. You hmm. feel that's a big part of what makes you successful? 
Absolutely. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the, the, I always say to people, I mean, you can't, you can't get really big stuff done if you're moving on your own. Mm-hmm. You have to mobilize people behind whatever it is, I mean, what, whatever the vision is. Um, and, and, so, and to do that, you have to interact with them. You have to touch them in some way. You have to, have to share what the, what, what the big picture vision or, or thought is. Yeah. You know, so. see, I, I like that because I've realized when I'm at my worst, I focus on the mechanics. You know, I need to do this, 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 this meeting, that meeting, do all of that, do this spreadsheet, do these mails. While the real real thing is, and I think that's what you're saying, when you once at your best, you have a, a vision you which excites you and you, as a leader, you communicate that. And that is probably the real job. The mechanics of running around and do this and that, that will happen in any case, but it is to have that purity of vision. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm, I mean, I can't, I can't say I'm always really good at it, but I mean, I, I, I think you did right. I think kind of clarity of what the most important thing is and, and keeping, keeping your, your eyes set on the, on the end goal is the, is the critical thing. And there's loads of detail that needs to happen. That detail's important, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think as the leader, you have to, have to keep your goals, keep, keep, keep your eyes set on the, on the end goal. And when you're at your worst, what should you look out for? When you see that, you say, oh, yeah. What, when people around me see something, they... they yeah, oh, no, they let me it. ask you differently. Is <laughs> when you're at your worst, how, what you like? What are the signals that tell you, yo, I'm in a bad space here? Um, I, I mean, typically what happens to me is I, um, my life outside of work falls apart. So I stop exercising... I start, start eating junk, okay. um, lots of sugar and all that kind of muck. End up, I mean, then you just spiral. I mean, mm-hmm. Not sleeping very well, mm-hmm. grumpy in the morning. Um, I've got four kids. So there's always tons of sort of management to do mm-hmm. at home as, as, as well. Um, uh, yeah, and I get, I get grumpy and, and, and short with people. And I typically get, I mean, probably more introverted. Yes. Um, so I'm... I'm an introvert who's had to learn to to get out and interact with people, um, and uh, I mean, typically when I'm stressed and, and and in that deep dark hole, I mean, I, I withdraw, I retract. Okay. So. Yeah, and I think that's also f- when I think of agile now, because one of the things of agile is. It's never clearly stated, but it is, like we said, it's bringing humanity back. And humanity is a whole being. It is, it is your work. It is your play. And then when the one starts suffering, you actually know you're doing something bad. And I like what you're saying because uh, I think in my case, it's also more introverted and I just do more, like I said, the mechanics. But you're right. It is your sleep suffers, your um, eating habits, all of that. So what I'm taking from this, if I see those signals, I know get back to the center again because because I'm off. Off kilter, yeah. 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 Okay. Now, the other thing our um, listeners won't notice, David is a flashy dresser. He walked in here with his purple tie and he just <laughs> took it off. And how would you explain purple to a blind person, David? How would I explain purple to a blind person? Yes. Not the color of a car. <laughs> yeah. Sure. What emotions come up for you with purple? Purple. I don't. Know. I think it's a. I think it's a creative color. Um, 
It's uh, they're flowers that are purple. Um, they're not cows that are purple. There's not yeah. a lot of oh, beetroot. Purple. Yes. Not a lot of foods though. Um, goodness gracious, I don't know, Yusuf. What else do I need to say in response to that? No, question? I think I think that is good enough. Um, <laughs> I didn't prepare for that question. <laughs> There's no way I could have answered it, David, because I'm also so structured, I, I wouldn't know. But you get very creative people, and that is what makes this thing so interesting. Mm-hmm. You could ask, um, you know, there's um, Andri, for example. She's one of our creative people, or a Daniel. You'll probably get an essay on um, on what purple is. Wow. And it is, it, is, it is fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. So it is, you, you need to be a bit creative. Maybe two last questions, and... If you have your ideal day at work and think of these new ways of working, think of what the future could be, what would your day look like? But make it real from the time you get up so your alarm goes off, if you have an alarm that goes off. Mm -hmm. What would a perfect day look like? Perfect for me. Um, So, look, I think think I've got a lot working right at the the moment. I mean, so um, get up uh, at sort of 10 to 5, um, to to do some exercise. So my favorite exercise at the moment is yoga, of all yeah. things, because um, it's proper exercise, proper flexibility, but also just gives you a quiet, calm space to suffer in peace mm-hmm. and, and focus on the day. Um, I've found that the key thing for me, I mean, back to your question earlier about being in the zone is 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 it's all about presence and if you don't create those spaces for yourself um you just get kind of crowded out by all the thoughts bouncing around so yoga from from uh 5 30 or 20 past 5 till about 20 past 6 and then it's a rat race getting all the kids out of bed getting them breakfasted getting them dressed getting them into the car and off to their various schools um excuse me and that's uh, so normally you leave home at about 7 drop them off by about uh, 20 past in the office by, say, quarter to eight, maybe a call on the way to work. And then um, what I try to do is uh, get focused on the one or two most important things for me to move forwards on the day. Um, and it might just be the next step. It doesn't have to be, I mean, complete the whole big assignment, but just what are the, mo- what are the two things that, that I, need to, I need to move forwards today? Um, and then, and then, typically, I mean, at the moment, my days are just too clogged up by too many meetings back to back. But in general, I mean, they're important things. And rather than being meetings in the corporate sense, thirty people sitting around the table and no progress actually being made, um, uh, turn them all into productive discussions where we aligning people and agreeing a course of action. I mean, actually agreeing who's going to go and do what, I mean, to, to, to shift us forwards. Um, and I'd probably be happiest spending my days doing just that. So engaging with people end to end, making sure we're all still on track, we're all still aligned, um, and that we're making progress towards those most important goals. Um, uh, and, uh, I mean, for me, the less email... Um, I have to deal with the better, the less time I actually need to sit in front of a PC not interacting with people directly, um, the better. Um, and and then I, I pack up, depending on the day, probably somewhere between 
six and seven thirty in the in the in the evening and run home and try and catch the kids before they all head off to to sleep um, and uh, make sure that I still recognise my wife. So spend a little bit of time with her and catch some dinner, and then um, to the extent that I need you, I I, I, I kill emails um, in the in the evening. Okay. Yeah. David and last question: If you had to associate yourself with an animal, what animal would that be? You know, like some people call this spiritual animal or whatever. So, if you think, if I just put it out there, what animal are you? What would you say? Yeah. So, so I've obviously been asked the question a couple of times, oh, okay. and um, um, I, I haven't yet come up with a with a better answer. Um, but but I typically see myself as an elephant. Um, um, not always perceived as the fastest moving, but typically has its sights set on something and moves systematically towards it. Um, and I mean, the amazing thing about elephants, if you actually observe them in the wild, is they're incredibly um, deft and delicate with their feet. I mean, they can move through bush without cracking anything. Um, and um, uh, I mean, so so navigating away through the landscape, and then uh, I mean, they they they're typically pretty gentle, calm creatures. But when they do get grumpy, it can get a bit messy. Oh, um, there the real so bad side is coming out. <laughs> so the elephant doesn't often get grumpy, but when it does, um, yeah, not pretty. Yeah, but David, thank <laughs> you for that. But while we're sitting here, I'm seeing you looking at. Um, Donald Gordon's speech and for the listeners won't know but you, he, um, David actually showed me this thing just before we started and I actually took a photo of it because I actually found it quite meaningful and um, David maybe you want to as a closing closing statement read us that speech you were, uh, in your in okay. your in your words uh, D- David Munro um, has used it a lot but what I what I found with it I mean I've I've now taken it on board so as I as I was saying before we got going I've got a copy of it in my jacket pocket just in case I'm anywhere and they need me to stand up and mm. and make a speech about something and what I find amazing about it is every time I listen to it um, I take something something else out and this was Donald Gordon's speech that he delivered um, in March of 2000 when he opened the, the Donald Gordon um, Institute of Business Science, Gibbs, um, which was, which was um, funded by him. Um, and, I mean, so I'll, so I'll just read, read, read through it, and, I mean, hopefully there's, there's something in there for, for everyone. Um, and apologies to, to David Munro for, for using it again, but I guess it's exactly what he wanted us to do, get out and, and, and share the message. So here we go. Um, become the most positive and enthusiastic person you know. Passion in business is, is everything. <clears throat> in business and in family relationships, remember that the most important thing is trust. Remember that overnight success usually takes about 15 years. Never accept that existing practices can't be improved upon. There will always be a better alternative way of doing things. If you identify them, see it to the end with meticulous care. One of David's favorites, strive for excellence, not perfection. And I think that's particularly critical in the conversations we're having around Agile. Demand excellence from yourself and your colleagues and be willing to pay for it. Take care of your reputation. It's your most valuable asset. 
Learn to listen. Opportunities sometimes knocks very softly. Watch for big problems. They disguise big opportunities. Think big thoughts, but relish small pleasures. When starting out, don't worry about having enough money. Limited funds are a blessing, not a curse. Nothing encourages creative thinking in quite the same way. And that's been quoted to us a number of times as we progress through the budget cycle. Be tough-minded, but tender-hearted. Don't waste time responding to your critics. Never give up on what you really want to do. And, and this one I love. The person with the big dreams is more powerful than the one with all the facts. Be bold and courageous. Yes. Thanks, David. Thank you, Yusuf.